630 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 630 Chad. All right, thank you very much for tuning in tonight. So the red-white game for the World Junior Selection Camp today in Red Deer not happening because of a couple of positive tests for players. The uh, Canadian World Juniors scheduled to play the U of A Golden Bears Saturday and Sunday at 6 o'clock on TSN television as uh, part of the selection camp process. Uh, as far as we know, those games are a go. And uh, we'll talk here about the Alberta Junior Hockey League with Brendan Escott. So the Premier today basically said no sports unless you have uh, some sort of your own protocol set up and then you can get uh, permission to keep on playing from uh from basically from alberta health and and the alberta junior hockey league had been playing is because they had some of their own guidelines in place and had been following those so brendan escott's the producer of Oilers now he also calls play-by-play for the short park crusaders brendan thanks for checking in man how are you doing i'm doing well reed and uh you know what i i I think it, it wasn't as if it was much ado about nothing earlier but maybe not as strict um punishment or or new restrictions handed down that uh, that certainly I was anticipating. I don't know how you feel about things, but it was interesting to get some thoughts from Commissioner uh, Ryan Bartoshik at the AJHL uh, just as you were getting onto the air, as a matter of fact. So not a lot of answers for him. He's got as many questions as you or I do at this point. And it sounds to me like they are basically, as of this second, paused until further notice um but with games still on the schedule for this weekend so a lot's going to change here Reed, in the next probably 48 hours i think for the for the ajhl okay so so the aj will have to basically be granted per- permission to play is that your understanding at least in the moment and i know that I, and i talked to somebody who works for one of the teams as well and they were kind of still trying to figure out exactly what everything meant so the the the, the league is operating I don't want to put words in your mouth, but the league is operating as if they have to get permission to keep playing on the weekend. That's correct. And based on the breakdown that I listened to from the, from Dr. Dina Henshaw and, and Premier Kenny this afternoon, um, it, uh, sports teams right now are considered a closed business. So therefore they would have to go, excuse me, above and beyond that and get that government exemption. And that sounded when I was talking with Commissioner Bartoshik, like what his next steps were as well. It's, first of all, get a meeting, a board of governors meeting in there and sort of figure out, um, you know, what, what needs to be done. But perhaps even before that, figure out where in the eyes of the government they fall and what an exemption looks like uh, in order for them to play either this weekend or, or you know, maybe mid-December if a break needs to happen, although that wasn't mentioned. Okay, and I, I just went on the website here, and basically, and a lot of people will, you know, know a little bit or a lot about the AGHL, depending on your, your level of interest in sports, or maybe we might have people listening who played in it or had kids or siblings or whatever playing in it. But if you if you don't follow the league, and this goes back to my day and probably even before that, speaking very generally, the AGHL plays games on Wednesdays. Fridays, Saturdays, and Sundays. Very general. I'm not saying there aren't games on other on other days of the week, but generally it's a weekend league. And if there is a weekday game, it's 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 often on a Wednesday. So there's a game scheduled. Uh, well, actually, there's a game scheduled tonight 
the Oilers and the Kodiaks. We'll have to, we'll have to see if that's being played in Camrose or not. And then there's nothing nothing until the weekend. But they, they do possibly have uh, about 72 hours, I suppose, to find out what's happening for the Friday games. Yeah, that's exactly right. And that's sort of that. What you're describing right there is what the league's responsibility was in accordance with even getting the regular season going in the first place. And that was making sure that if you weren't going to be providing testing um, and, and pr- producing negative tests for every single one of your team members within a 24 hour frame, um, you basically had to have seven days off of hockey between cohorts so that meant that you could play if you were playing on a saturday and a sunday you were only ever playing on a saturday and a sunday because you needed that seven allotted days to separate it so it was started to function more like uh like a college hockey schedule for the first couple of weeks and it was drawn up um i think when i was on last week i mentioned that the schedule was only done up until the end of the calendar year it was in fact and still is a 32 week schedule uh, our 32 game schedule, excuse me, over 16 weeks, so two games a weekend. So that is how they budgeted it out. But it's now going to be over the next couple of days, Reed, just determining if there's any amendments that need to be made to sort of further make that in accordance with uh, with the guidelines that we received today. I should clarify, by the way, the, the Camrose Okotoks game had already been postponed. Uh, I, I believe they announced that a couple of weeks ago. So it's it's still on the AJHL schedule, but it's actually had already been postponed. So the next game that shows up, uh, well, a series of games coming up on Friday night. But you, but were you also telling me that the the North Division has been all systems go, but they've they've already had some postponements from the in the South anyway. Well, so there was two teams that were impacted in the North Division. It was um, Lloyd Minster and White Court. And that was in the exhibition campaign. So they started their regular season a week later than the rest of the North Division. They played each other, and they had to do that to allow you know the appropriate amount of, of isolation time to pass. In the South Division, they had players from multiple teams test positive. And so if you had played against one of the teams that had a positive test, Well, now you were in contact with somebody that did. So then your next opponent became a victim to it. So it was really a a horrendously quick domino effect in the South Division, Reed. And over the last weekend, I don't even think they played one game down south because it just stretched to all seven of the teams down there. So yes, right now, as far as regular season action goes, the North had been unscathed, but it's one of those knock on wood situations and something that I still say almost feels inevitable. Although I don't want to be too hard on those who are trying their best make it to make it not so. Okay. Well, we'll, we'll keep following this. Uh, obviously, I mean, look, you're currently heavily involved with the AJ, and that's a big part of my broadcasting career. So I'm glad they've been able to to sort of forge ahead. But we we all know that they they got to be safe and follow the guidelines as well. There there was a pretty significant story though. A guy uh, that uh, you actually set up to come on the show just before the season started, Gord Thibodeau with the Fort McMurray Oil Barons. My goodness, he's already the winningest coach in league history. He's now up to 900. So I, I joked the other night, he's either a really good coach or he's just been coaching a really long time. He's well, a good here's, coach. Here's me. the answer to that question, Reed, is I had to look that up the other day, and he has been coaching in the Alberta Junior Hockey League since the 94-95 season. I was born in 1994. So that over my entire life, Gord Thibodeau, has, has you know allotted that same amount of time to the Alberta Junior League and, and is well-respected as such. 
for all of his work with Fort McMurray and, and um, Whitecourt as well. And you could probably fill in some of the gaps from long before my time following the league as to his impact. But even, you know, he was one of the first names that I heard about when I uh, stepped into the AJHL circuit and he's, he's been a staple ever since. So yeah, congratulations to Gord on win number 900. Yeah, that's, uh, <laughs> that is, that is truly remarkable. And, uh, I think this is, is this his second or third stint in Fort McMurray? God, I'd have to check. It's at least his second, but uh, yeah, I first knew him with Lloyd. He went back to Lloyd when they changed their name and now we're the Bobcats and they hosted the Royal Bank Cup. I went out and watched the game uh, a few years ago when they hosted there. Yeah, pretty, pretty just a, a giant figure in the Alberta Junior Hockey League for sure. Are you, um, like what what are you sensing just from the people around the league that you talk to about the um I don't, I don't know enthusiasm for playing or reservations about playing and i look i know as we go through this every every team and every group of people and every individual is is different with their with their comfort level and all that kind of stuff what was there sort of a sense you get from around the league here yeah, it's, it's a little bit of fragility, if I'm being honest. And these are young kids and a lot of young kids that are here from a province or two away. And and there was a lot of kids from a country away who didn't even get to make the trip. And so, you know, all of these little anecdotes and, and teammates and uh, moving or not moving and, and that kind of thing. I mean, it's just created sort of a whole culture, in my opinion, of, of uncertainty. And the fact that the plug could be pulled... And again, I say, if you're a player in the North Division and you're looking what's gone on in the South Division and how quickly everything toppled down there. And so, you know, these kids are practicing and they're trying to get up and and uh, and get excited in this, this sort of thing and, and push everything to the maximum of their ability, but knowing all the while that it could be for naught. The next second their phone rings, the second they get off ice at practice, there could be a, a new amendment made. So... You know, as much as they're trying to go out there and, and give it all they've got, and this is still a very important part of a hockey player's career, I, I do sort of get a and maybe an unspoken but an underlying sense of, boy, this could all be ripped away pretty quick. And how about the fact that if you're talking specifically about the Crusaders, Reeds, um, you know, this is a team that had built so much up towards last year's playoffs, and that was also ripped away the drop of a hat. So, um, you know, <laughs> PTSD for some of these returning players, without a doubt, and, and just trying to hang on in the meantime. All right. Well, we'll keep an eye on this. I'm sure we'll we'll get more tomorrow, and, and you and I will keep keep in touch with people we know in the uh, in the Alberta Junior Hockey League to see what uh, they are going to be able to to do. And, and we should clarify because there had been other junior leagues. There's an Alberta female junior hockey league that that isn't playing. And I, I had somebody asking me like, how come the men's league got to keep playing and the women's league didn't? And basically because the AJ was able to set up kind of their own protocols and their own rules to be safe while some of the other leagues um, didn't have that luxury. But just, so I guess now we just see if they, if they get the go ahead to, to keep on playing. Um, And then we still look ahead to the, if I can interject here, Reid, I mean, Ryan Bartoszek was saying the commissioner of the AJ that uh, he, he did have, 
they basically fell into a category of major junior hockey, which is something that the, obviously your midget levels and your bantam levels and so on, they didn't fall under that. But that's not necessarily going to be the case under these new amendments. So that's sort of part of the apprehension for uh, an actual statement from the league at this point is they, they don't know whether they qualify as a business or uh, you know a, a major junior sporting organization, which is how they were able to be part of that exemption, as I understand it, the last time around all right well we'll we'll see what happens with the games and uh and with the world junior and again is the the u of a golden bears continue to prepare as if they're playing team canada saturday and sunday even though tonight's canada inner squad game was uh, was called off because of a couple COVID tests hopefully those games happen because it's something to watch and <laughs> we like watching the u of a team so hopefully those are those are safe to play brendan thanks a lot for uh checking in buddy appreciate the update thanks for bringing that tonight always a pleasure reed all right that's brendan escott calls play-by-play for the crusaders and he's the producer of Oilers now with bob stauffer noon to two every day on six thirty. chess so that's what we can tell you from the ajhl and of course this is all happening over the last couple of hours they are uh, going to behave for the time being as if they are under pause and then see if they get permission to play their games that are scheduled for the weekend. That's what we can tell you about the AJHL now. And, uh, of course, we'll keep you updated as we find out more. 718 Inside Sports on 630 Chet. Thanks a lot for tuning in tonight. There's the update on the AJHL with Brendan Escott. Uh, They believe that they have been paused and uh, we'll see if they can get permission to keep playing their games on the weekend. If they desire, we'll keep you updated on that story. I was reading a little bit uh, from Pierre Lebrun today, who covers the NHL for the athletic excellent reporter on the national level about the uh, and look we, we don't know when the regular season is going to start we don't know exactly what the format is going to be I think the one thing we pretty much know for sure now is that there will be a Canadian division we don't know the number of games we don't know exactly how they're going to play those games all that kind of stuff but then what do they do for the playoffs well they could stay in the division LeBron wrote he put forward three ideas where it would be like when you had the Adams, Patrick, Smythe, and Norris in the uh, late 80s into the early 90s. Everything stays in the division, one against four, two against three. That would be pretty crazy for the Canadian division and whatever they call the American divisions. You'd play the same teams all year long, eight, maybe nine times each, and then you'd play again. You'd play an opponent in a best-of-seven series and then play another team from the same division in a best-of-seven series then who do you play in the conference finals? How do they group the final four teams? They'd have to decide that as well. Now, LeBron also wrote that they could say, okay, we're going to stay in the divisions for the regular season, but then there are conference playoffs, perhaps seated one through eight. So then they'd have to pair the Canadian division with one of the American divisions. So probably the, the Pacific side of things is what LeBron writes. So you could have... Toronto playing Los Angeles in the first round or something like that, which which would be a lot of travel. Maybe they do a 2-3-2 series, which they used to do when it was Central against Pacific in the 90s for a while. And the other option, which he calls the let's get crazy option, which I wouldn't mind seeing, though it could potentially make for the most travel, is that you just seed everybody 1 through 16. 
So you have to be in your top four in your division to make the playoffs. But then after that, you're seated one through 16 and you just play whoever, whoever's across from you in, in that type of draw, one against 16, two against 15, three against 14, on and on and on. And if it's, uh, you got to travel a long way to play him, so be it. If it's someone in your region, so be it. That would be pretty interesting. And it would make for playoff matchups that, we probably haven't seen in the past or at least seen for a while though. Let's not forget. We could get that in the Canadian division. I mean, you could have an Edmonton Toronto first round, a Calgary Montreal first round. They've only played in a couple of Stanley cup finals. And, and there is the potential to change to two, three, two best of seven series instead of the two, two, one, one, one. So we continue to speculate about the national hockey league. That's all we have right now, but a little bit more speculation there. Courtesy, Pierre Lebrun. As we were telling you about uh, earlier on the show, Marty Klinkenberg gave some perspective here. One of the first Indigenous players in the NHL has passed away after battling a presumed case of COVID-19. Here's Roger Ward. Fred Sasakamus died in Prince Albert, Saskatchewan at the age of 86. His son Neil said last week his father had been hospitalized in Saskatchewan for a presumed case of COVID-19 after experiencing wheezing and chest pains. Sasakamus played 11 NHL games with the Blackhawks in 1953-54, becoming one of the first Indigenous players in the then six-team league. During his time in Chicago, he faced off against greats like Maurice Richard and Gordie Howe. Roger Ward, the Canadian Press. Yeah, pretty incredible story. And you heard Marty Klinkenberg tell some of it earlier on on the show. Toronto FC eliminated from the MLS Cup playoffs, losing 1-0 in extra time to Nashville. So what would possess somebody to build a reconstruction of the old Boston Garden and then play table hockey on it? Well, I'm glad you asked because we're going to find out. Edmontonian Trent Bueller did just that. And we'll also introduce you to the new head coach and director of football operations for FC Edmonton. All coming up in the final half hour of the show. Thanks for tuning in. Good to have you tuning in tonight. I'm really looking forward to talking to this gentleman. I want to welcome to Inside Sports, Trent Bueller. Trent, you're on with Reed. How are you doing, sir? I'm doing great, Reed. Thanks for having me on. Well, it's very nice to talk to you. Before we dive in here to the meat of this story and the really cool project that you did, can you just maybe give us a quick bio of yourself, Edmontonian, not Edmontonian, what you do for a living, hockey passion, stuff like that? Sure. Uh, I live in Edmonton. I was actually I'm from Saskatchewan originally. I grew up in Calgary. I've been here for about 30 years, I think. I've uh, done all kinds of things in my life. I, uh, I work in a machine shop currently. i uh, played in a rock band for many years, and I like to make stuff. What, uh, what rock band did you play in? Uh, local band, Pal Joey. They still going? Still going, about 25 years. <laughs> Oh, awesome stuff. What instruments do you play? I uh, play songs, write songs, play guitar, sing, stand in the middle, that sort of stuff. And is this a group of guys, like, is it the same group of guys for that long, or have you had some roster uh, changes? 
No, it was me and one guy, and then we've had all kinds of drummers and all kinds of guitar players, and uh, yeah, we're still going. It's been off and on like about 25 years. I think. No, it's the drummer's not a Spinal Tap situation, is it? Where you got to replace them for that reason? <laughs> no, we didn't have 30 drummers. I think we uh, we topped out at about four or five. <laughs> I'm glad you got the reference. So what kind of music is it? Is It's rock, you said? Like, how heavy is it? Uh, it's not too heavy. It's kind of maybe a little bit of country, a little bit of rock, uh, a little heavy at times. It's sort of all over the map, I guess. It's all original stuff. Okay, cool. I, I, I love you. I love hearing you talk about that. And you have, you know what? I'm going to try to say as little as possible. You built something. Can you tell everybody what you built? <laughs> Okay, I built a uh, I built a replica of the Boston Garden that is actually a table hockey game. It's fully playable. Uh, I designed the whole thing from the ground up. I started by coming up with a slot pattern, and uh, I cut that, and then I built some boards, and I put up some glass, and then I had all this extra room, and I thought about it a little more, and so I decided just to go for it and build the whole Boston Garden. Sorry, when did you start? Uh, about two years ago in September, I believe. Two two years ago in September? <laughs> yeah. Oh wow! So what what prompted you to to actually finally start it? Like, did someone spur you on, or did you kick yourself in the butt? I'm curious. You know what it was? It was like I built a couple other smaller ones years ago, just games themselves, an old fancy arena or anything. And then I thought about doing this for probably 10 years, to be honest. And I didn't know if it was possible. I didn't know, if, you know, because obviously I had to make the rods a lot longer to make room for the stands behind the nets. And so I wasn't sure if it was even going to work. So, I mean, I spent all this time thinking about it, daydreaming. Well, how would I do that? How would I make the boards? How would I put the ice underneath? How would I build the stands? And then just one day, I just decided to just go for it. And so I started building, and I got maybe, I don't know, 10% in, and I didn't like the way it was working. And so I started again, and I made it even bigger. <laughs> That's awesome. So how, how big is it total? Uh, it's a, almost six feet long and almost four feet wide, really close. And, and you then, have... Uh, sorry? I was just saying, you have you have bleachers like the stands built in. Is it full bleachers or just kind of the lower bowl? I did I uh, did the lower bowl and I did one section of the balconies and then the press boxes and then I ran out of room. <laughs> <laughs> well, and you have to you have to be able to see to play table hockey because it is a usable table, is it not? That and that was totally what I had in mind the whole time. I wanted to make sure it was still going to be you know something that I could still play. And, you know, take me back to the Boston Garden, but take me back to those days, and it and it works. Plus, I built it so that it can be completely, because it's so big, I made it so it would come apart really easily just in case I move or, you know, I kind of had this idea before COVID rolled in that I'd like to throw it in a van and, you know, go on tour like a rock band and show it off sort of thing, right? <laughs> That's awesome. What teams, what teams did you put on it for the figurines? Uh, well, I've only painted two so far. Uh, I got the Bruins, obviously, and the Canadians. It's always my favorite matchup. Yeah. Well, with the classic matchup, and you pick Boston because you are you're a Bruins fan primarily, or are you Oilers yeah. and Bruins, or? No, I've, I've been a Bruins fan since I was a little kid. Bobby Orr days. I, I always wore number four, and it stuck with me my whole life. And like I said, I moved around a bit, so I never really had a home team, and the Bruins have always been my guys. So that's why I did it. 
Okay. Uh, how many games have you played on it so far? Do you have buddies over? I know it's we can't visit very much, but have you been able to play anybody? Yeah, that's the worst part, right? I can only play my kids whenever they come upstairs to ask me a question for anything. I'm like, hold on, before I give you an answer. <laughs> <laughs> we're going to play until somebody scores. <laughs> Usually it's the kid bugging the dad to play, but it's the opposite in your house. That, that's, yeah, that's, exactly. that's pretty cool. <laughs> so uh, if you don't mind me asking, and, and if, you don't, if you're not comfortable telling me, that's fine, but I feel like I want to ask, do you, do you mind telling me the, the total cost to build it? Oh, that's the thing. I haven't really worked it out. It's been like... Like I said, I had no plans or anything, so it was just kind of, I would start building something and I would see how it looked, and I was like, you know what, that doesn't look right. So I would tear it apart and I would go and buy some more materials. So I haven't actually broke it down yet. And in fact, like, it's not even finished. Like, I, what's happened here in the last week is I posted a video, you know, there's a Facebook page, All, all Things Table Hockey, and I was sharing, you know, my progress with the boys, and I did a little, you know, video and put it put it up and it got picked up and it's just went bananas ever since. So I'm still not even done. Okay. Well, this is cool. You came on trip. You were joining us on inside sports about his uh, reconstruction of the old Boston garden as a table hockey game. It, it looks, it looks pretty incredible. Uh, no, but before you got into this, did you have any, I mean, you're, you're an artist when it comes to music, but did you paint or did, did you play games with models or do model trains or anything like that uh no but that was sort of part of the thing right like i always i really admired those really awesome train setups or slot car tracks where it looked so realistic and that was kind of you know what i was thinking about when i was going for this i wanted it to look real um i never really dabbled in any of that stuff but i've always been a bit of an artist i've always drawn or painted and done things like that and built little things so that's the best part of this project is it kind of covers everything a little bit of construction a little bit of painting a little fine detail work a little bit of electronics i've got some lights and things so it's it really kind of ties all my skills together in like the best hobby ever <laughs> well, that, that that's uh, that that's awesome. I mean, I I've I've I got a little video here online. What, what's the name of that Facebook group again? So if people want to check it out, uh, all things table hockey. All things table hockey. Okay, I'm writing that down. I'm going to go on it after my show. But that's <laughs> okay. Now, at the risk of you uh, audibly rolling your eyes at me over the telephone here, because I know you said you're not quite done the Boston Garden, would you like to do other rinks or sporting venues now? Absolutely. I've actually done a few smaller pieces as commissions while I've been doing this. People reached out to me and wanted me to make stuff. So I did a few other just sections of seats, about 30 inches long. I did uh, Chicago Stadium and uh, a couple other Boston Garden ones. And I'm kind of, I'm thinking I want to do a few more of these and maybe work at a smaller scale uh, so that, you know, it could be something I could sell to people that, they, you know, it would be actually viable. I mean, this thing's so big right now take three people to get it out of the house how much does it weigh do you think uh i don't know it actually doesn't weigh that much it's maybe 50 pounds 60 pounds i think i was guessing okay but i assume you'd have to be incredibly careful when you're lifting it though well that's the beauty like i said it all comes apart into a bunch of sections so it's actually it is quite uh, transportable but if it was something like if i was going to make more buildings i would definitely have to go a little bit smaller you know i can't be uh, two years here two years there i'll be uh, old and gray <laughs> uh do you want to give a shout out to any family member or buddy who is especially encouraging or inspirational through this process 
Well, I would have to say definitely, uh, you know, my wife's been very uh, <laughs> great about the whole thing. Every time I disappear up into the loft to work on it. And all the guys at that, that Facebook page, all things table hockey, they've been great from the get-go. Like, such great response and really have kept me, kept me rolling. Well, that's awesome. Trent, did I miss anything important that you would want to get out? Uh, I've got a bunch of uh, behind-the-scenes pics on uh, Instagram, old-time table hockey. Okay, oh, you're old time table hockey on Instagram. Okay, I got to find that's that right. as well. That's that's awesome. <laughs> I'm gonna go look at that. Well, Trent, right uh, th- this was really cool. Good for you for I, I guess almost completing the project. I mean, it looks incredible, and you're playing games on it. And, and all the best down the road. We'll, we'll have to keep in touch, man. Let us know what you're working on. Okay. Definitely. Thanks a lot, Reed. That is Trent Bueller checking in tonight, as he tells you, as he told you, a longtime member of a of a band here in Edmonton and uh, Boston Garden, the uh, the table hockey version. So check it out, all things table hockey on Facebook, old time table hockey on Instagram. If you want to see some of Trent's work, that is really cool. And this really wasn't a pandemic project. He started about twenty six months ago, and now it's it's. It's pretty much done. That is awesome. New head coach of FC Edmonton coming up. All right, no news about the National Hockey League today. AJHL, we'll see what they can do for the weekend to play games. Uh, Currently, still all systems go for the Golden Bears against the World Juniors at the selection camp at Red Deer on Saturday and Sunday. Fred Sasaskamoose, one of the first Indigenous NHL players, has passed away today at the age of 86. You heard Marty Klinkenberg come on the show to tell you a little bit about him. FC Edmonton has a new head coach and director of football operations. His name is Alan Koch, and he's on the line right now. Alan, welcome to Inside Sports. My name is Reed. How are you doing? I'm great, Reed. Thanks for having me on the show. Yeah, thanks for checking in tonight. I know you've had a, a busy day and you've probably been doing a, f- a few of these, but congratulations on the um, on the new position. Obviously, uncertain times in the sporting world, but but that aside, how are you feeling about joining FC Edmonton? No, I'm incredibly excited. It's uh, I've been out in the States for, for some time in both the USO and in Major League Soccer, and uh, it's exciting to be back in Canada. I know I have a a bit of an accent, a funky one, I guess, but uh, I'm also a very, very proud Canadian, and it's great to come back home after having been down in the States for for some time and really, really excited about joining the Canadian Premier League and seeing what we can do with FC Edmonton. Well, I, I'm glad you brought up your accent because I, I kind of want to focus a bit on that because your journey is a really interesting one. You were born and raised in South Africa. Tell us a little bit about being a, a kid in South Africa. Were you in a big city? Were you in a smaller town? And, and was soccer always your, your first choice, or did you dabble in some other sports as a youngster? Um, I, I grew up in Durban in South Africa, which is a city of roughly 3 million people. Uh, so a big a big city. Uh, it's by the beach. Uh, the weather is the polar opposite of Edmonton, of course. It's uh, about 30 <laughs> degrees Celsius most most days of the year um but i've been in canada for some time so i've got used to different weather of course um but played soccer all the way through as a young player i tried every other sport i played cricket i played rugby ran track and field cross country i did karate um but really it was my it was my love it was my passion and it still is my love and and my passion to this day 
you 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 came to Canada initially to play soccer at Simon Fraser University. How come? How come you took the the, the plunge and came kind of halfway around the world to continue your career? Um, I was playing in Germany at the time. Uh, I think most people in most parts of the world dream of going to Europe, and it's the be all and end all. Um, I went there. I I tried to break through. I didn't really see myself going and making it to the truly upper echelons. And uh, my family actually emigrated to Canada at that time. Uh, all the American colleges found out that I was looking to come to North America and, and everybody was reaching out with scholarship opportunities and all of that type of stuff. Um, but Simon Fraser and Keith Watts, who was the coach at the time, reached out and it was an opportunity to, to come and get a great education, get a soccer scholarship, be close to my family. Uh, and SFU then, and still to this day, is the only Canadian school that plays down in the States. So I felt like it was uh, the best of all the different worlds. And I came over and I don't regret it for one second. I had an amazing opportunity to further myself as a soccer player, but obviously gain a, a fantastic education too. And I truly wouldn't be where I am today uh, without my experiences at SFU. So I'm very, very grateful to, to the program. Uh, unfortunately, Keith Watts, who was my coach, has passed away uh, a few years ago. But uh, SFU is a big, big part of my journey as a, as a player and as a coach. Well, yeah, and, and you had an excellent tenure as, as coach in SFU. Four times you were the, the coach of the year in your conference. You, you've been in uh, American colleges. You've been in pro in the uh, USL with uh, the Whitecaps 2 team um, and, and obviously in MLS with Cincinnati. So when did it click for you like, okay, I want to be a coach? And I, and I often ask this question, Alan, because I get a wide variety of answers from some players, some coaches who said, like, two years into my playing career, I knew I wanted to coach, to other guys who said, like, I never thought I would be do it, do it, but I, I needed a job, and now I'm a career coach. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm definitely the latter from a I never thought of coaching. Not that I needed uh, to go find a job or anything like that, but I just had no idea that I ever wanted to be a coach. And when I was playing, that's all I thought about was play the game, Let's ride the journey and go as far as we can possibly go with it. But unfortunately, when I was 25, I, I had a, a minor heart condition at the time. And thank goodness it's all under control now. But I had to stop playing professionally. Uh, and I went back to Vancouver. Vancouver's been my base for oh, 25 years. Uh, and went back. Had no idea what I wanted to do. I literally applied in those days for every single advertisement in the newspaper. I remember opening up the Vancouver Sun and literally just, I think I faxed in my resume to every single job that was there. I got an opportunity to go sell light fixtures. Um, no disrespect to anybody who sells light fixtures. That's not my passion. Um, and after that, I, I really figured out that, you know what, I needed to get back to my passion. And I hadn't thought of coaching, uh, and that's why I, I started coaching then and took a job at SFU as the assistant coach uh, 20 years ago now. And I've ridden that wave uh, all over the place, uh, the ups and the downs. And uh, I've been very, very grateful to be a coach now for a long, long time. So when you were working with some of the Whitecaps' younger players, did you not work with Edmonton's Alfonso Davies? Yeah, I was the coach that gave Alfonso Davies his professional debut at 15 years old. And uh, I think Edmontonians will love hearing this story. Uh, I'm still in touch with Alfonso to this day. Uh, I was more scared playing him in his first professional game than he was. Um, 
he, he's a fun-loving guy, I think, as most people at Edmonton will attest to. And he was quite relaxed. He was still very, very young at the time. It's not common for a 15-year-old to make their professional debut. And I was uh, I was trying to calm him down, which I didn't need to do when I put him in. Uh, I think I was probably more calming myself down. Uh, but he rose to, to that challenge very, very quickly, just like he has, to be quite frank, to every single challenge that's presented himself uh, along the way in the last few years. Uh, Alan, we'll, we'll have to talk again and get more of your story, but we're just in the last couple minutes of the show here. So uh, I, I do want to let people know that uh, for, for FC Edmonton, the club is taking deposits for 2021 season memberships for $20.21. You can visit the team's website, fcedmonton.canpl.ca. Uh, I, I mentioned just a bit of your coaching resume, and again, we'll, we'll have you on again to dive into it further. But just tell us your view of FC Edmonton and the Canadian Premier League, um, you know, I think this could be an important step, hopefully for Canada to become stronger internationally as well. What's uh, your impression of the CPL? Uh, it's colossal for Canadian soccer. I, I'm a proud Canadian, and I, I worked with the Vancouver Whitecaps and MLS. I had to go down to the U.S. to to become an MLS head coach with FC Cincinnati. Uh, I was preached out to by a few teams in the CPL a few years ago, and I was still in MLS as the head coach at that time, and it wasn't the right opportunity. But this is a league uh, that uh, is a fantastic opportunity for Canadian players, Canadian coaches, Canadian fans, everybody to be quite frank we're we're a country that's obviously got many different sports but soccer is truly a growing sport in the country uh, i think we've come along leaps and bounds uh, but the cpl now is a league that's really shown in a very very short amount of time that the sky is the absolute limit um so I'm, I'm very very excited to be back in canada work with the club work with the players work with everybody to continue to grow the product grow the brand uh, and take it as far as we can well said. Alan, thanks for checking in. Congratulations on the new job. Of course, we'll we'll talk down the road here, but all the best. Awesome. Thanks, Reed. Have a good day. That is Alan Koch checking in, new head coach, director of football operations for FC Edmonton. What a career he has had, and he's going to continue it right here. Oh, my God, there's music. We're done. You also heard from Brendan Escott, Trent Bueller, Chris Joseph, Marty Klinkenberg. Always keep updated on globalnews.ca or 630ched.com. Dave Campbell is the producer of Inside Sports. Kellen Kennedy is your intrepid studio operator. My name's Reed. Thanks for listening. 630ched Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 630ched. For most of us, crime is something we see on the news. We never think it could happen to us until it does. Loved ones are gone, and for the survivors, the scars will never heal. I'm Nancy Hickst, a senior crime reporter for Global News. And on this season of Crime Beat, I'll take you inside some of the most serious crime stories I've covered. Season six of Crime Beat is available now on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, and all podcast platforms.